0: Hey! Do you like movies? You do? Then I bet you're already very familiar with our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. The company was started by cinephiles Joe Rubin and Ryan Emerson and was said to be, quote, perhaps the most important home video label in the world of genre film. By the Alamo Draft House. Holy shit, that is one hell of an endorsement.
1: A big part of that is because of a three-step process I lovingly refer to as the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an expansive... Archive of over 500 feature films, and they also work closely with archival institutions like the Museum of Modern Art, the Academy, MoMA. yeah, MoMA, the Academy Film Archive, the Library of Congress, UCLA, and the Walker Center. I can't even count how many of their releases have either never gotten a physical release or haven't been seen since the days of VHS. Many of these films look better than they have any right to look.
0: My favorite thing about Vinegar Syndrome is that they have their own in-house lab, which they use to restore these films to all of their glory. I can honestly say that I have never seen any grain reduction or digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome was one of our first sponsors, and I'm overjoyed to say that they've stuck with
1: us for five years. I'm still surprised we stuck around for five years, to be completely I, honest with you. Uh,
0: that we've stuck with each other.
1: Yeah, I know. I really thought we'd be done after the first couple months in the first season. We're still tipping, baby. Yeah, we are. So check out their website today to it, pick up your copies of the Forgotten Jolly Collections 1, 2, and 3. Though one oh might be out of print, shit. so if you see it, make sure you grab it. That Satan's Blood, Fade to man. Black, a VHS favorite amongst a lot of cinephiles that was uh, unable to be released for a very long time. Taxi Girls, Don Coscarelli's Beastmaster, an HBO late-night favorite. The 3D film Silent Madness, and the weirdo French Christmas horror film... Dial code Santa Claus, aka Deadly Game, and many, many more. Visit them today
0: at vinegar syndrome.com and let them know that the shameless picture show sent you.
1: That's right, vinegar syndrome.com for all the cult, horror, exploitation, and vintage porn you could ever want. However much that may be. Yeah, exactly. Hon- honestly, like, it's, it's my one day goal to on our next house is is honestly just to have enough room for my movie collection this sure. this this summer we're building new shelves because we have the ones that we built are already buckling so i need to build something <laughs> a little stronger and i i struggle to get rid of things because i'm yeah. like what if i want to watch that again and why pay to rent it when i could just keep it
2: well, I still need a home for my 430-some-odd VHS that I acquired way back. In...
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> hey. <laughs> it, Amanda, I, li- I hope you're not watching this right now because we might have just inherited 458 <laughs> VHS tapes. <laughs> I,
2: I live in a college town, and they have a place called Surplus where they, whenever they upgrade furniture or whatever, they just uh, they sell it off in this, like, you know, You can buy the weirdest stuff like freaking vials and slides and overhead. I mean, new and old stuff, you know, crazy stuff. So I was there one day and there was these like three, four box, just huge boxes. And I was like, "Uh, those are VHS. And so I was like, you know, can I look through the boxes? And she goes, well, if you give me two bucks, you could just take the box.
1: That's two bucks (laughs) well spent.
2: Well, then I was like, I took the box back to my wife and I go, Look at, I got this box for two bucks. She's like, Really? I'm like, Yeah, they had four other ones there that I could have possibly had. She's like, Fine, go back (laughs) again. So I went back and bought those other ones and ended up with like four hundred, like six boxes all together. Cost me not much at all. I mean, dirt Dirt. and, and, there's some really wild ones in there. It's like, cool.
1: Well, it's, it's, it can be tough, too, because one, first I want to say about family video, I actually just went like a week ago. To, mm-hmm. to go because like they, they still have the open signs I was like well maybe <laughs> and I went past and all the lights were off and' like okay I missed my chance but I, I was honestly waiting uh, because I didn't want to go I, I was still I, I got burned one time from family video and they're not in business anymore so I can say this uh, <laughs> I tried to get a side job there years ago uh, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say which location um, I tried to get a side job there years ago and I was talking to the guy who ran the place and he's like yeah I really like you and you, you have a, you a passion for movies and I think you'd be great here but i can't hire you i was like why not it's like he's like you, you'd have to shave Complete. he's like you know oh, just trim no. down he's like he's like no you'd have to get rid of the beard it's like why he's like the guy the people who run this place are an old military family and apparently some guys who worked for them in the past ruined it for everyone anti-beard mm. oh and then i'd also have to cover my tattoos and everything i was like this is a fucking video store this is, <laughs> nice. i'm your bread and butter <laughs> time for some time
2: for some video violence <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so I was honestly waiting because like and plus yeah. every time I rented a video from it always came back to me scratched <laughs> <laughs> but like that's that's part of the charm of a video story you go there knowing it's like this is probably not gonna be great quality but i'm gonna i i I just like I like it's 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 not the same going through netflix and browsing mm. it's fun being able to like go Clip through everything well, and read the backs, and well,
2: especially browsing through Netflix and streaming because my wife always uh, jokes about. So you're gonna scroll through Netflix and Amazon for about twenty minutes and then go to bed, right? And yeah, like probably. You know, whereas a video store you're at least physically walking around versus no, I have seen that, I've seen yeah, no. no. I, I love that mm-hmm. show.
0: The choosing what to not watch yeah. on Netflix. It's just a great show. Uh, I, Honest, I, I honestly it it's, nightly.
1: what's what's been even better for me is I I, I, I use letterboxed. Um oh, and mm-hmm. if I, I pay for the 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 I think it's their their pro account or whatever mm-hmm. and you can actually anything that's in your watch list you can sort by what where it's streaming
3: so oh, if I just think of a movie nice. I want to see
1: I just throw it in my watch list and at any given moment I can just I can just be like what is in my watch list that's currently streaming and I can choose Netflix I can choose Amazon or I can just choose everything and nice. it's made. Honestly, still kind of difficult to choose things, but at least then I I don't have to like figure out like am I going to check Hulu today? Am I going to check Amazon? I can just see everything.
2: I when uh, back when they rented out uh, DVDs, uh, my wife opened the account, and then I was a guest account because you could do guest accounts, yeah. and that was the one day I discovered you can only put five hundred movies in your queue on a guest account. <laughs> because it was so easy on your computer. You'd go through the list, especially when before they went all mobile to where you have all the thumbnails, where you could do the text-only list, which I miss, because you could get a bunch of titles, and you just click and go, yeah, add to queue, add to queue, add to queue. And then one day I went, add to queue, and it said you can only have 499 movies in
1: your queue. And I'm like, oh, well collector fanatics we find out the limits of things before anyone else like that's how I found out that my local library would only check out 14 CDs at a time (laughs) (laughs) you could only do 14 at a time I was like why only 14 they're like how many more CDs do you need it's like well I am ripping them all so as many as possible (laughs) sir you're gonna have to put 120 of those back (laughs) yeah and then you're sitting there like "Mm, do I really want to check out the best of bread yes I do yes you (laughs) do well, I liked when uh,
2: the library still had vinyl because I'm a huge vinyl guy. I got you too. I, I I got addicted to collecting vinyl about five years ago, and now I I actually pay like a, a lot of money for some. You know, I I buy the thirty forty dollars limited release ones now. Uh-huh. In fact, the Ed- Edward Scissorhands one I just got is freaking gorgeous. I 30- got that
1: same one.
2: <laughs> oh, that thirtieth anniversary one is mm-hmm. so freaking beautiful. My I,
1: wife surprised it with surprised me with it at Christmas. Yeah. How I'm trying it? very
0: hard not to spend the $80 on the... Uh, Best Flawing of Bread? Molly 20, <laughs> oh. Molly's 25th yes. anniversary release of Swagger. I keep seeing it. I'm like...
3: Ah,
0: and, not and, and,
2: it's funny because I started with Goodwill, and it was just going to be limited to Goodwill. And so, like, the first year I collected vinyl was Goodwill and thrift stores. I wasn't going to pay more than four bucks. My, and second, then I got,
0: go my second job in high school was Goodwill, so that's where my record collecting started. How do you guys find anything at Goodwill? All I find is Christmas albums and polka. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's I'm, Wisconsin, but that's fair. I'm
0: sorry you said you couldn't find good vinyl, but then you named the best two kinds of vinyl.
2: <laughs> How do you not? I found a vinyl that, uh, because, uh, you know, Wisconsin, I'm from Wisconsin, central Wisconsin. Uh, have a, my mom had a huge family because uh, her dad came from a farm family back in the old days. Oh, so, yeah. Armstrong cheap cheap farm labor was having kids, so yeah. her her dad had like twelve cousins, a uh, twelve you know you know uh, you know just siblings or relation, and so the family's huge. And I found at Goodwill one day a uh, Polish hems vinyl that I bought because I looked on the back and it's all in Polish but I recognize the last names and I have like half there's like <laughs> half a dozen relatives extended relatives that sang on this album in some church it was recorded in ha- Amherst Wisconsin it was recorded yeah. on vinyl
3: allow me to introduce myself Gus Polinski,
1: hold on. polka king of the midwest
3: The, the Kenosha Kickers.
0: Hi uh, there.
3: No. That's okay. I thought you might have recognized it. Anyways, um, I had a few hits a few years ago. Uh, that's why, I, you know, just polka, 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 polka. No. Uh, Twin Lakes Polka, Dama Vooji Polka, AKA Kiss Me Polka, Polka Twist.
4: Well, these are songs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we. Some, Fairly big hits for us, you know, in the early 70s, you know. The one time I bought actually purchased a record from Goodwill, I was really excited. It was Creedence Clearwater Revival, Cosmos Factory. I get it home. I, I take the record out. It's a fucking polka record. You, you got to check.
2: You got to check. check beforehand, man. I know. I was so excited. Beforehand. I didn't think to check. Actually, uh,
0: to add to our preamble here, I owe you a story.
1: You do owe Ooh. me a story.
0: <clears throat> so um
1: and then I'll actually introduce our guest eventually. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll need that. <laughs> nah, um, just
2: so, some guy who popped in, grabbed the link, and hey, yeah, you, do you do
1: t- you've technically been in the show longer than I have because I cut myself out. For that <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um so the Shameless
0: Picture show has been um we partnered up with the DC Independent Film Festival to um as as part of their uh I don't remember uh, I think DC IFF Film Chat is what they call it. Mm. It's it's a book club but mm-hmm. for films. So they have lots of Q&A things but this one's intended more that everybody watches the decided upon film mm-hmm. uh and then they go into breakout rooms and discuss it and then there's the filmmaker Q&A afterwards. So it's it's designed to be more interactive it's very cool it's still growing but um uh i think it's a cool concept and i i hope it really starts to take off but anyway the with us the, it will
2: or we'll, <laughs> <Kill> it. we'll <laughs> do it that's right. um so
0: the these are all dciff alums that You know, there are other films or or films that Mm. didn't get into the festival for whatever reason. This is another outlet for that. So the filmmaker... um, uh, God, I'm not going to remember his name. Alex something. uh, Sorry. Uh, His film Closure is what we watch. Alex
1: Goldberg.
0: Thank you. Alex Goldberg's film Closure. We watch it. And the end credits come up. And... I recognized the name of the producer. I'm like, why do I know that name? And that I recalled that he helped me. He was a post production consultant on my first feature. He helped me get like color correction out in L.A. and sound mixing and things. And he was very nice. Very um, he had very kind words to say about my otherwise terrible film project. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and 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 then we're in this film chat, and who shows up but the producer. Bo Jano. <laughs> um and and I I reference I go I don't know if you you remember this but you actually helped me finish mine and he did he remembered we had the you know small world um but then I I told Michael about this and part of the kind words that he had to say was because during post-production on that film somebody involved with the film I'm not gonna name I think I i been able to narrow it down to two suspects
3: Mm.
0: never figured out exactly who it was but one of the people involved with the film was trying to sabotage the project and specifically me um so i promised michael that i would share this story on air versus telling him beforehand because i thought it would make for good content so um i'm it was a very like it's it's very the truest form of indie filmmaking for somebody who... D- I did not go to film school. I had no idea what I was doing. I wrote a script. I went Some to people- film
1: school and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and I just wouldn't let a lack of knowledge prevent me from putting something together. Um, and for the most part, it was a positive experience. For the most part, everybody involved had very positive things to say. But somebody was pissed off. And right about the time we were starting to get these contacts of people that would help us actually step up the film a bit, and he got an email, and the producer forwarded this email to me. They emailed him and said, "This is a terrible project. Do not put your name on this project. Um, it's it is horrible, and the director is horrible, and on and, like it oh, was Jesus it was Christ. a very inflammatory email being wow. sent to this person out in L.A. that." that you know was trying to help us out um i went into this really like whenever somebody is actively trying to destroy you <laughs> it is very intimidating like i i was like kind of hiding in my house for no reason like it's not like i was worried about physical violence or anything but it like it got to me in a weird way and for like a month i was very in a very weird dark place and i finally i'm talking to this producer um out in la and he said, "So I got this email. Um, I wanted to let you like. Initially, I was interested in helping you out with this project. It seemed interesting. I liked helping people tell their stories. When I got this email, it made me want to help you more because <laughs> nobody nobody tries to destroy something that doesn't have value. Mm-hmm. It, if they if they didn't think it would go anywhere, they wouldn't try and destroy it. And now I I'm you know harshest critic I." Michael asked if he could see it. I said, "Nope,
1: it'll never see the light." <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't that mean it has value then? Because you are intentionally trying to destroy it.
3: Yeah. Right, touche. <laughs> um,
1: I think we should. I think we should just put it out there as a Patreon thing. What everyone oh. wants to watch Nick's first movie. You have to pay money to see it, though. We're gonna recoup and, your loss.
0: <laughs> here's like I think the story. The the core of the story I think is interesting. I think the idea I came up with I like. I think most of the people involved with it brought the level up. It's just very first director, you know, kind of a release. I shot it back when HDV was first coming out, and I mm-hmm. couldn't afford it, so I'm shooting it on like SD mini like DV cameras. 8 camera. <laughs> no, it was uh, the Canon XL1. Ooh, if you ooh. remember that, so it's, I do. Mini DV, SD, um, and so it's, it. I, I am happy enough with Normal to, like, continue releasing that and have people watch it. And there's things to criticize about it, but overall it was... I think I'm, I'm Normal's really biggest
1: fan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I wanted to share the story of not only how somebody tried to destroy me, but also how this, like, weird turn of events came around where I got to re-meet... <laughs> that producer that I talked to all those years ago. Well,
1: I guess I w- I'll say I am such a big fan of Normal that I have a signed copy by the director on my shelf. Ooh. How did you
0: pull that off? <laughs> I
1: don't know. I don't know, man.
2: Hey, I, I'm a huge supporter of micro-indie budget cinema, so, yes. you know, I, I'm actually impressed. You, uh, you are on a different level than some indie filmmakers who feel like just about any film they make should be released to the world, and and... <laughs> You know, it's like, on the one hand, I have mad respect for anyone involved. I was actually able, thanks to my good friend Derek Carey, who I met at a film festival, he uh, did this anthology film called Hole in the Wall. I have a copy
1: of that, too, and I don't know how I got it.
2: Oh, do you really?
1: (laughs) I think I also have it on VHS. (laughs) I'll have to look.
2: (laughs) But uh, So I got involved in it, and, and he's like, hey, did you want to help me on a film? And me being... A lifelong film fan I'm like yeah twist my arm where do I sign up he's like well I can't really pay I don't care I'm there you know so I I, I've witnessed firsthand the indie films making experience and that film definitely deserves to be seen by extreme horror fans but I've also judged film festivals and there are some movies where I'm like mad props for you trying to put something together I have total respect for that and no right. criticism there. It's just that you did need someone outside of your circle or bubble to come in and go you really shouldn't release this. <laughs> right. You know, mm-hmm. here's what's good, here's what's bad, but you may not want to release this film, you know. <laughs> for so. for
0: me I always felt that if I finished a film project and I had nothing but pride in it then that means that I didn't learn anything making it. <laughs> you know, like, I should have learned something from the process enough to go, I wish I had done that differently. Yes. So yeah. that, that's that been kind of my approach to it.
2: Yeah, and I've had indie filmmaker, uh, one indie filmmaker not destroy me, but uh, <laughs> give, make my life complicated on oh, YouTube.
0: Oh, like, can, can, can we not try and bring each other down? Let's lift each yeah. other up. Let's
1: just, <laughs> this, show's exactly. about, this shows about positivity. At least we try yes. to be. Yes. Like, we have one rule on this show that even if we hate something, it's something that Nick started uh, tasking me to do, uh, what we tasked each other to do, that yeah. even if you hate something, you got to find three things you like about it.
2: Oh, that's that's fairly easy for me. I have a reputation. I, I've been called on YouTube many times soft on films because I usually try to spin positive versus negative. I mean there is I'm the same know, way.
1: You know, yeah, there's stuff too. that
2: I will point out in my reviews, especially for micro budget indie films, but usually I find enough positive to put in there too to you know, but the negative isn't necessarily negative, like, wow, they really sucked at this. It's like here 's what i didn 't like about it, or here 's what I noticed and i 've gotten more positive feedback from filmmakers going, "Thank you for letting me know, right. or sometimes they 'll explain why something was the way it was. I yeah. think it was yeah. uh, I think that, it was something like sorority babes of something, uh, a zombie town or whatever it was, and I made a comment about how I wish they would have had a uh, tripod because a lot of their footage was shaky and the scene in this bar really seemed cut, and that was part of my criticism. They sent me, like, this paragraph stating, you know, we meant to have a tripod, but the rental fell through, and then we were supposed to have this location for three nights, and we only had it for what?
3: And I'm so you just, just got to like, gotta go. You just got to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it happens on every movie set, and the smaller the budget, like, the harder it is to adjust to that, but that's mm-hmm. really, like, where directors and, and entire crews, the crew that you put together um, really shows their you know, the quality mm-hmm. of that because it's how you react to those crises that really impact the quality mm-hmm. of the film. But I think the core of of why I and and I think all of us try to or look to the plus side is what you said earlier in that the fact that they put it together at all the fact yeah. that they 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 surmounted all of the odds and at the end of the day you have an hour and 15 plus minutes of footage somewhat coherently put together into something that you can show someone else is a huge accomplishment and yeah that does deserve respect
1: mm-hmm. yeah i've actually got like two things to say before we actually begin the show proper one i was i was on <laughs> I was on a a show called Heart Out with Jason and Chris Thornton, two two filmmakers from Wisconsin who just made a film called Cactus Jack. And I was on their podcast and I was talking too about like how I'm just kind of a, I'm a pretty, like there are things, uh, movies I truly don't like. Don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong. They exist. But for the most part, I'm like, you know, that wasn't bad. Like I feel like, you know, most movies I, I don't feel like are bad. Like if anything, I was like, it's okay. Uh but we were talking about – just by the sheer will that a movie got made, he was like, I feel like just because a movie even got made, which is miraculous in, its, in itself, probably feel – it probably deserves at least two stars just getting right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> made. Um, fuck, what else was I going to say?
2: That Cactus Jack is awesome. I love that movie. That movie was wild. Oh man! Um,
0: I do have man. one more thing that I'd like to throw out Before <laughs> we that? start the show And if you were following our Facebook page You'll have seen this But um, uh, The author of my favorite book um, oh, yeah. And one of my favorite movies Passed away uh, mm. the other day And that was Norton Juster uh, Author of The Phantom Tollbooth Several other children's books Children's books <laughs> um, they're, they're advanced for children's books High concept High fantasy um, uh, high whimsy we'll call it a lot of words high whimsy high whimsy um i have always i got i'll show off for the i I have some that's from the film film version and the book version of the same character from um yeah but uh he, he will be greatly missed even though to the best of my knowledge he wasn't still putting content out um but um it uh he he was an constant inspiration to me um as as i wrote and uh, he'll be missed uh and i'll also shout out um actually i believe if i'm remembering correctly the daughter of the woman who runs dciff uh is also a filmmaker and put out a documentary that i really like uh called beyond expectations oh you talked that, about this yeah. there was like a, an interview she interviewed norton jester and um so if, if any of you out there are also Phantom Tollbooth fans, I would check out the documentary Beyond Expectations. Yeah,
1: actually, I remember the last thing I was going to say, because um, yeah. we were, ta- we we're since we we're all talking about how we just are film lovers and film fans, mm-hmm. and if it, if this is someone's first time tuning into the show, you know, because Mark, you have your own audience and everything. So if this is someone's first time tuning in, the one thing that I absolutely hate about current film journalism that you're never going to get from us is when people make very like the very big declarative statements things like like remember when when game of thrones the last season came out i never watched it but i heard a lot of people being Mm -hmm. like oh the clearly the cinematographer has no idea what he's doing because how dark this movie is bullshit you're not going to get shit like that from us because we know that he knows more than we do about what we're about, mm-hmm. about how this goes, and I just I hate that there's this trend going on around uh, there's this trend going around where like, well, this person doesn't know what they're doing, or you know, this sucks because of I couldn't see it, or all these little things. Like, I feel like you know you can you can I I, I feel like people will focus on one thing, and because of this one thing that they didn't like, the entire movie is bullshit. I have a hard time doing that because yeah. I can usually find something good that I like. for so. For the most
0: part, my harshest criticism is it wasn't for me.
3: Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and that's fine. Not it, everything you, has to be for everyone. Because
0: they, it, the, all these movies that you see, they are for someone. Like somebody is going to watch that and love that
2: that's I've I've always dropped that like uh we went to see Bad Moms Christmas cuz my wife and I we watched Bad Moms I found it funny my wife thought it was hilarious we went to see Bad Moms Christmas I found it okay she found it you know more humorous than I in my review I said look I'm a 40-something-year-old white guy. I am not the target audience (laughs) for bad moms, you know? And some people, I think, and I've run into this with some YouTube reviewers, mad respect to them, but at the same time, sometimes their criticism, you're like... The mil- the films aren't always made for everybody. Right. Sometimes they have a specific demographic. There's
1: nothing wrong with that.
2: You know. And yeah, exactly. They're still well made films. They still have. You know. You can comment on. Yeah, the audio. You know, was not good at all. Okay, that's fine. But to say, oh well, I didn't get the jokes, so it sucked as a mm-hmm. comedy. It's like
1: yeah. I saw like on Letterboxd, like, So I watched the new Tom and Jerry very recently. I thought it was good. It was it was it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Someone on Letterboxd gave like half a stars. Like this is literally the worst movie I've ever seen. I was like, you haven't seen many movies. <laughs> if this, a movie with this good of production is the worst movie you've ever seen, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's start the show for real, guys. Yeah, <laughs>
3: right? we sorry. No, we
2: the show. Win. Warning. This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements, endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers and with me, as always, is a man who gave up his right to rest in peace when he signed the contract to do this show. Nick Richards.
0: <laughs> I For a moment, I forgot if you said my name or if I did.
3: I never say your name. That's the part I of this. this. I, you ha- I write your
1: name in. I always write your name in just in case we both forget who you are. But it's your job. That's your one job. <laughs> oh,
0: that's, but, I'll, I'll leave now. You
1: guys <laughs> Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Mark Krofchek from uh, Special Mark Productions. Mark... Is a film superfan and has been dedicated. And has dedicated. Pfft, can't talk today. Marcus is, f- is a film superfan and has been dedicated to cinema for ages. He's also prolific as both a YouTube and podcast personality, hosting a plethora of shows like The Final Cut, Spoiler Room, and my favorite title, It's Vinily Mine. <laughs> He's a YouTube pioneer and has seen it all. Mark and I'm also proud that I could say your name correctly because that's my mom's maiden name.
2: You know, I'm really impressed. You're like the second person in the last 10 years who's pronounced it correctly. I, I also
1: I, know how to spell it. See, This the C-Z-Y-K, man. It is. It is.
2: Yeah. I mean, try to explain to someone that C-Z-Y-K has kind of an F sound. It's like, no, Cross-check. Krozek, that's that's close enough. Good. Yeah. That, I'm good.
1: You every know? time I'm, every time you pop up on my Facebook, my mom will see your name, and she'll message me. He's like, do we know him? And it's like, mom, you ask me this every time. No, we. <laughs> he's not related, surprisingly. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I had that uh, when I reviewed. Um, uh, he's uh, he never dies with mm-hmm. uh, uh Ross. Yeah, directed by a crocheck and it was fu- <laughs> funny uh, because when Audrey Cummings came out with and she never dies, I I tagged him in it, and he's like, "Are we related?" And I'm like, "I don't know," but it turns out he is from Wisconsin originally. So maybe him,
1: somewhere wow. down the line. So we're
2: down to line, but, yeah. but you got uh, that
1: big farmer family. <laughs> um, Mark, I met you years ago. Um, it mm-hmm. was uh, is that a film festival. Mm-hmm. It was when I was doing my small but pretty prolific for myself, like a uh, festival run for From the Darkness Theater. I say prolific because it actually took me multiple places. Uh, oh, that, but was, I met- that was
0: the festival run where we met.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's where I met you, Mark. I remember mm-hmm. I did. Uh, you interviewed me for your show at the time. Yes. And um, I don't remember which film festival that was. I remember we were in the balcony of a theater.
2: It was, uh, that one would have been, I believe, the Oshkosh Horror Film Festival.
1: That makes sense. That's actually where I met John Pata as well. So that right. Makes sense.
2: Yep. Because it was run by John Pata of Deadweight mm-hmm. fame. And, uh, you know, he's currently uh, with Nick. Uh, Jill Six, uh, they've got that wonderful film, The Stylist, which I still have to catch the feature on. But yeah, Mr. John Pata yeah. uh, ran that fest.
1: Um, so that's where we met each other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you interviewed me on the show. And you had actually interviewed me, my producer, Greg. And I remember you asked me a question pretty early on, like about, you know, the question you ask every filmmaker, like, what was your inspiration? And I. Being as completely open as I said, it's like, oh, I essentially ripped off Maniac 2. And then my my producer just shot daggers at me because he thought that'd be a bad thing to say. And I was like, everyone, anyone who's seen it knows it. Like, I'm not hiding from it. I even named the character after him. Like, it is not a secret. And I think that went up on your YouTube channel. And Mm we... We've just we hit it off since then. Like we've like we've never like uh, talked this long at a time, but like we've no. always. I think we have we have very similar interests. We have mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, i just like I've always kind of kept tabs on you since then. So like I knew like when we we this this season we want since especially like streamyard makes it so easy. Yeah. Uh, before doing like a three way episode and trying to do Skype on multiple, it was like it was yeah. janky. But now that it, it makes it so easy, we we wanted to do more cross promotion, and I was like. Mark's a Mark's a big movie fan. He loves vinyl as much as I do. Let's get him on the show, <laughs> and vinyl is kind of the reason why I came to today's topic.
2: Well, I well I appreciate you having me on the show. This is great uh, honor, and, and it's always great to talk to people who have a passion for film as well. It's why I got into this. It's why I I love doing these things. Is because you always get to meet. Really cool people who are into films, and you learn so much on the way, and it opens up your your eyes to maybe films you don't
1: watch normally. So,
2: you know, one hundred percent,
1: I I completely agree.
2: So I am very honored though to be here tonight, especially to talk about this film because uh, we just finished in January, uh, a, what I called nineteen eighty the musical. It was a theme month where we covered surprisingly there were like six or seven musicals in nineteen eighty and they were different ones the most mainstream one was fame but we covered the apple uh which is actually kind of in the same vein of the one we're talking I've about I've heard tonight. about the apple yeah, uh, you know Catherine Mary Stewart in that, and I got to talk to her about it, and it was fun uh, seeing her reaction on it when I told her I actually liked the film. Uh, so.
1: I know more people than not who like the Apple than don't like the Apple.
2: Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's an odd one. It's 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 definitely would make a good double feature with tonight's film. That's yep. that's for sure.
1: And without burying the lead, today we are discussing one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, that's managed to worm its way into many different facets of my life and has become a, one of great importance and i'll talk about that all when we get to there today we're discussing phantom of the paradise winslow Weech is an aspiring songwriter who wants his music to be heard he's passionate about his music but loathes stardom and popular music and instead of writing pop tunes spends his time writing a cantata about the story of faust he knows he can get music in front of if he can get music in front of Swan, all of his dreams will come true. Swan is the world's most acclaimed record producer and is very impressed with Winslow's music, but not Winslow. Swan promises to sign Winslow to his label, Death Records, which is a fucking killer name, but uses it as a ruse to steal the music and has Winslow beaten and thrown into jail. Fueled with rage, Winslow escapes from prison but is disfigured along the way. But disfigurement can't keep Winslow from stalking Swan and vows to ruin the opening night of the Paradise, a music venue Swan has put all of his time and effort into. Winslow also has his eye on Phoenix, a beautiful singer which he vows will be the only person to sing his music or else. Only she can sing it. Anyone else who tries, dies. Phantom of the Paradise pulls influences from many places, most notably Phantom of the Opera, The Story of Faust, loosely, and, more importantly, The Portrait of Dorian Gray. Director Brian De Palma was fascinated by the idea of stardom and riffing on how bands with true passion are sometimes ignored in favor of record label creations. He was also interested in how music can change from musician to musician, and was adamant about making sure that every song The Juicy Fruits performed was a bastardization of Winslow's original piece. While the film wasn't loved by a lot of critics, some feeling it was too cartoony to be a good parody, the film took on a new life with fans and has taken on a cult following for its music, kinetic camera work, and over-the-top nature. The film stars William Finley, Jessica Harper, Garrett Graham, and Paul Williams as Swan. <laughs> From 1974, written and directed by Brian De Palma, this is Phantom of the Paradise.
3: 20th Century Fox presents Phantom of the Paradise, a gothic horror story. What with that? A beautiful love story. A cinematic odyssey through the rock universe. From Greece. To glitter. And beyond. The story of a sound. The man who created it. The girl who sang it. The monster who stole it. And the phantom who haunts the paradise. The ultimate rock palace. Of the paradise. My music is for Phoenix. Only she can sing it. Anyone else that tries, dies. Phoenix. Phoenix. Well, you told me one time that you'd be somebody, that you weren't working just to survive. B. Slow. Whoa,
4: whoa, Man, you better get yourself a castrato for this.
3: Paul Williams as Swan. I want you to stop terrorizing the paradise and rewrite your cantata. And the Phantom. Stop the Only you might satisfy me, Phantom of the Paradise. There really is the Phantom that was a crazy fucking trailer that was awesome but representatively
0: seen, crazy if
1: i would have seen that trailer back in 1974 i was like i have got to see this movie
2: absolutely
1: like that is just primo so i love this film i've I'm surprisingly the only one who's seen it um, okay let's get both of your perspectives about what you thought who wants to go first Mark, Mark can,
2: oh, well, well, okay. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll throw it to the desk first. Oh, well, well thank Mark you. Mark the I, movie man.
2: It, it is honor. Um, I love weird, quirky films, and also I'm a, a De Palma fan, but I'm one of those fans where I don't go out and like seek his work and buy his work, like all of that, but he has yet to disappoint me with any film I see with his name on that I just happen to come across. I'm like, oh, this is De Palma. I know I'm going to like it. And that's what it is with this one. Uh, I mean, it's got his style all over it. I, I, He's got a signature. We, uh, you know, I talked a while back on my show of a uh, uh, movie Snake Eyes. And you yeah. can even see camera work and, like, the split screen and the kinetic energy and everything that you see in Phantom <laughs> of the Paradise. You can find in Snake Eyes that he did, you know. Yeah. Like 10 years later, you know, 15 years later, he, he did that film later, but it's still his style. And I, something about De Palma I just love visually, even if maybe the story or some of the elements don't exactly work for me. Visually, what stuff that he does with the film medium is is crazy. And in this film, I mean, we're talking, what, a year before Rocky Horror? And mm-hmm. it definitely has that spirit and that same energy for sure. I mean, I dug it. I, I kind of figured I would. My head friends talk about this film forever. It's I like was the surprised. rock
1: opera and Brian De Palma? Like, yeah, that's... right? And it's also a movie that, like, real quick, uh, not to yeah, get you okay. off, but like, it's, a, it's a Brian De Palma film that simultaneously does not feel like a Brian De Palma film, but then completely does. <laughs> like, I just feel like he just took a riff of cocaine and be like, we're going to make some weird shit. <laughs> And, like, because you, you listen to interviews with Brian De Palma, it's like, how did this guy make this movie? Because he just seems like, oh, he doesn't seem any fun to be around.
2: <laughs> well, he's the guy, you know, he's the guy that uh, I loved raising cane. You know, but that's a dark film. You know, Snake Eyes is a dark film. He's usually associated with dark films. And while this is a dark film at the same time, yeah, you're absolutely right. It It is, but it isn't De Palma's tone that you're used to seeing. It It's still, on the whole, on average, you come out not feeling like you've just been, like, smashed into, a, you know, a press or something. Your emotions haven't been crushed. You're just, like... That was kind of fun.
1: Yeah, because he did this, and then two years later did Carrie. Like, yeah.
2: It's like, oh, man. You know, what drugs were involved with that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no all clue. of the drugs. All, all of, of the, the drugs. drugs. Yes, all every single one
2: of them. Th- those weren't <laughs> prop drugs on the piano by the Phantom.
1: <laughs> I imagine Paul Williams brought his own drugs. I feel like it was in his... In his contract and be like, I was on the Muppets. I'm going to bring my own drugs. So, I don't think he was on the Muppets yet. I think that came later. But still, it's like, I'm I, i I'm bringing my own drugs. I imagine, like, Paul Williams read this movie and is like, shit, this is me. This movie's is about me. <laughs>
0: Maybe Paul Williams wrote the whole thing and, and brought it to the Palma. He wrote all oh, the songs. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like did. there's yeah.
1: he actually talks about it on the DVD that like he, he's you know, taking stuff to keep himself up all night so he can knock out all these songs while he's also still producing for the carpenters and doing all this other stuff. So like this was his night job was writing <laughs> these songs and they're a killer. Definitely so, Nick, Nick, what did you think about the movie?
0: Um, I thought that the film was nonstop fun.
1: I, I didn't like, know where you're leading with this. Yeah. Oh no, he's
3: got a, a
0: really slow intro. Felt, period. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, the, the this this film did not take any breaths. No, now, and no. and I'm I will preface my reaction by saying the extent of my knowledge of Faust is the Futurama episode that spoofs it. And the extent of my knowledge of Phantom of the Opera is the Me First and the Dimmy Dimmies cover of the theme from Phantom of the Opera. So I think that's everything I, you need. I don't yeah. have a lot of sense of what they're
1: referencing. Hmm. Um, well, the, and, Faust, and the Faust is the story of the deal with the devil. Right, right. I feel like even if people haven't seen Phantom of the Opera, they know what I, it's about. When, when Philip J. Fry sells...
0: Of Trade something with the robot devil in order to get the robot's hand so he can yep. play the holophoner perfectly to win Leela's love. That is the story of Faust. I
3: want my hands <laughs> Never! A deal's a deal even with a dirty dealer. Very well, then I'll take what I want from Leela. Whoa! Leela has promised me her hand
1: you do not understand yeah that and the the devil went down to georgia it's we're imbued with this with this story
2: the crossroads Um, yeah yeah. Yeah. exactly Um,
0: so and i i think there's a lot more for me to enjoy of this film because of the kind of the ways that i enjoy story and diving into the references and and how it's all assembled um that i can't yet appreciate because i don't know the source material um, but I didn't need that to enjoy the film. Mm-hmm. Like, I I enjoyed it thoroughly. I just know that there's more for me to enjoy.
1: Yeah, it's a, definitely a movie that it's it sits on its own merits. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think. But it's one of those things that if you get what it's doing in terms of what it's referencing with the Portrait of Dorian Gray, Faust, and Phantom of the Opera, it takes on a new level. And then if you're also a music nerd and you know get what you know, beef is, is spoofing. And if right. you get what the juicy fruits are spoofing and all that, it makes it even better again. And then if you're a cinema nerd on top of all of that, and then can just enjoy what the fuck Brian De Palma is doing. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, like, hell there's, this is not the movie you were expecting a psycho uh, spoof, but it's here, but
0: it's there it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, beef was by far my favorite character of the whole thing. I, I, there, it would be so easy to have made Beef's character a stereotype, mm-hmm. and every time he was on camera, there was more dimension to that he, character than like, damn, him. they like, that that guy has so many facets for this like kind of secondary character that he really he really brought me in. I also loved that like he was the one who was like, no, this Phantom's gonna fucking kill us all let's get out of here and they're like nope you're going on stage he's like well shit i guess i'm going on stage and he bites it with the big neon lightning bolt that we saw in the trailer and it's like oh that part i like i really liked him
1: and then i also love too that like he's like can to kill us we gotta leave here uh and then they're like we'll take this he's like no that's gonna break me down i don't want to do that <laughs> he's like i don't want to come down from this i'm frightened." Yeah. But I don't want to come down. I know what's a like what's a drug vision, right? Like, yeah, I've been doing no, this no, for no, a while. No, no. I, this I also, isn't my
0: first drug rodeo. Yeah,
1: Beef's <laughs> ba- Beef's backup band I, I thought was was fantastic with their oh like God. with their crazy makeup, and I feel like I remember hearing somewhere with the makeup artist. Uh, it might have been on the Scream Factory disc, but she was talking about like. Like, we were just trying to come up with, you know, that we had this German expressionist vibe going on. I wanted to transcribe that to the makeup. And she said, you know, people always say all the time, they're like, oh, that's influenced by Kiss. And I think even Gene Simmons one time tried to claim it was influenced by Kiss. She's like, they weren't anybody in 19... In, it was like, yeah. Their first <laughs> album didn't come out until 1974. We were making this in 1973. He can claim all he wants that he influenced this, <laughs> but they weren't anyone. And I was like, yeah, tell Gene Simmons I, what's up.
0: I was surprised how much I liked the makeup on the Phantom because the mm-hmm. the mask covers so much of it and it's kind of the primary identifier mm-hmm. but but the one black eye sticking out and the oh, black so lipstick with the metal teeth like I was surprised what a big part of what made him visually appealing was that like secondary layer of makeup under the mask
1: Yeah, Yeah, William Finley, who plays the Phantom, was he—he wasn't in a lot of roles. Uh, mm -hmm. He worked a lot with Brian De Palma early on in his career, but he is so good, and he's so good through that costume as well. Mm -hmm. That like I I, and he—he's just hard not to love in this movie.
0: And he really was playing two different characters. There Mm -hmm. was before the accident and after the accident that where there there was no transition. There, from one to the other he was like he was one character pre-record face smash and then a totally other one <laughs> after that uh um, yeah and less so because of the the physical disfigurement but more so because of what had happened to him and and his music
2: you know if we were talking about uh before about you know budgets limited budgets for filmmakers and that they De Palma uses a lot of uh, traditional type of tools here so that you don 't necessarily have coverage because we don 't find out i mean the transition between you know leech before and after doesn 't even happen on camera ne- necessarily i mean he get we see him get burned. Mm-hmm. But then what do we get after the paradise, you know, opening headline, we get this little blurb on a newspaper where we find out, oh yeah, he was chased by the cops, shot and fell into the river. Yeah. (laughs) It was was the Batman, you know, it was Oh, okay. You know, we we, you could tell it's like we did have time or they didn't want to shoot it or it would have been too elaborate to you know, for all that. But here, here's what happened next.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah and it's like we we get so little time with Win, with Winslow before the accident mm-hmm. but like the little bit of time we get is like honestly i l- fell in love with his character him just singing that song mm-hmm. yep. yep. like i and, to this to this and day his that song with phoenix yeah, th- was th- th- that song just it still makes me cry and um <laughs> i like i guess i have a personal connection to this film where uh when me and my wife before we got married, um, I was a huge fan of this film, and she actually had found me the a copy of the soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, nice! And it came like a hot pink vinyl, mm-hmm. and I <laughs> would spin it all the time. And it was pretty early on in our relationship, but she knew I. Was, I and I had only just I had only just discovered this movie that year that she mm-hmm. bought it for me. But I became so connected to it, uh, and and that vinyl, and she, and we were such a big fan of it. Um, that for, before we got married, we threw a joint bachelor and bachelorette party and because those didn't really like most of our friends are the same people. So, like, <laughs> uh, so we actually, I pulled some strings. I was working for Marcus theaters at the time doing promotion and we were actually able to rent out a theater. Um, we booted the mechanic too, cause no one bought a ticket. <laughs> So that was our that was our theater, and we did a double feature, and we showed Phantom of the Paradise and Evil Dead 2. Oh, nice. And I intentionally chose Phantom of the Paradise first, because I thought most people are only going to stay for the first movie. <laughs> I want to choose the film that no, I can guarantee that no one in the audience has seen, because like everyone would want to see Evil Dead 2 first, and then would leave during Phantom, I'm sure. So I just wanted to subject an audience to this film, and it <laughs> played so well. You know, having this movie in a the theater. I mean, the the storyline mm-hmm. of,
0: of this, you know, the, the climax being this opening of this theater-like yeah. music venue is, like, I would love to see this. I'm usually, while I would love to see any film in a theater, I rarely watch yeah. something and go, I would love to see this in a theater. Um, this is one that I would love exactly. to see. Exactly, and I thought, like,
1: when am I going to get a chance to see this? Like, I'll, There's a really good chance that I will get to see Evil Dead 2 in a theater, and I have seen it in a theater, but it's like, when am I going to get to see Phantom of the Paradise living in Wisconsin <laughs> in a theater? Um, and then on top of that, on the on our actual wedding day, so um, uh, a couple friends there in the band, The Directionals, they do our theme song. They played our wedding, and they also played us to the, to the altar, and we had a pretty long walkway because we got married at a VW post. And we had, you had to cross the entire parking lot to get to where we're getting married. Um, so they played two songs. They played a Bright Eyes song for when Amanda walked out. For me, they played Winslow's version of Faust. Live, acoustically.
4: I was not myself last night. Couldn't set things right with apologies or flowers. Out of place as a crying clown Who could only frown And the play went on for hours And as I lived my role I swore I'd sell my soul For one love Who'd stand by me And give me back the gift of laughter Yeah, one love Who'd stand by me And after making love we dream a bit of style We dream a bunch of friends Dream each other's smile Dream it never end I was not myself last night in the morning light. I could see the change was showing.
0: I really liked um, how they shot that scene, too, when he was playing it by himself. It was just kind of this, I don't think it was a single take, but they were very long kind of slow tracking shots around him at the piano that would, you know, when it's behind him, it's the back of his head and the bright lights and and the mirror that's blocking Swan, but then it slowly comes around to see his face and how lost he is in this music. It was yep. really
1: delicately shot. And it's it's funny, you think about Brian De Palma as a director and, like, I feel like most people wouldn't think of him and think of, like a romantic filmmaker, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he definitely has that side of him. Like the thing, because another one of the movies that I absolutely love that he has made is a movie called Blowout. And like what I remember most about that film is the fact that like he's, it is, like, this romance between the two we characters. Like, he ha- definitely has this side of him from being a filmmaker that so many people have accused of being rough, gruff, and kind of misogynistic, which some of that is warranted. He <laughs> definitely has a r- romanticism to his to, – especially the way he moves the camera.
3: yeah
1: mm-hmm. He's
2: very aware of camera movements and such in any of his films, and this one definitely is an example of that. You're right; it's not a it's not a one take, but it's long takes in between, uh, cut between mm-hmm. that and Swan. I think it is looking down at him, but it's done so smoothly that you don't really realize it because you know you got to realize we're dealing with film cameras, folks. He's not with his iPhone going around right. or, you know of, of phone. I mean they got a they've got a camera rig that they need to bring around this uh piano it's not,
1: yeah it's not an easy it's not an easy shot and I, Paul Dieter one of our listeners uh, also agrees that blowout is great to palma as mm-hmm. is sisters um, but no it's, it, it's i I quote this often I talk about this often on the blowout blu ray of criterion there 's a featurette with Noah Baumbach and Brian de Palma talking just about filmmaking and De Palma talks so often about like going into a situation and knowing how he wants to shoot things, and he shoots most things in a master. Because he said, you know, nowadays you watch TVs and movies, and you're so inundated with just close up after close up after close up, mm-hmm. and you're just cutting around, and you can't get figure out where you are spatially. You know, he's like, if you he, and I try to do this myself when I'm making films or trying to or planning things out, he says, if you don't know, if you can't tell your scene in the master and make it interesting, you don't have the scene figured out that
0: Mm -hmm. was one of my early filmmaking mistakes is I always wanted to push in and push in and get those close-ups and spend a lot of time there and um now when I watch young directors and independent directors like it stands out to me like a sore thumb is when they're just spend too much time in close you gotta you gotta let it breathe um and 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 if you do then the close-ups are more meaningful. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you don't if you don't pull back, if you don't have it um uh if you don't give it that space, then the close ups mean nothing.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well I mean and you get that wonderful shot right in the beginning when we're introduced to Leech outside of him uh sabotaging the poster by by painting his name yes, on the, I love that <laughs> <on the> poster <laughs> just like, just real quick. But he goes out there, the crowd leaves, we get that wonderful shot where the the manager uh, is talking to someone off camera, and it's the classic De Palma: someone's talking to the camera, right? Um, you know, because I, he, I
0: wasn't sure then if that was like uh, breaking the fourth wall or if there. <laughs> and it took a while to realize, okay, he's talking to Swan because we really don't know who or what Swan is right. yet at that point in the film. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. and you get that shot because Leech, the first time we see him playing the music, of that he's down far off on stage and we've got the manager talking to someone off stage and then the gloved hand comes out, you know, you get it mm-hmm. cut in between. But I love that shot of how our guy is actually way off in the distance, but it's, it's such a great blocked shot that it's just visually, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm totally in. You've pulled me
1: in already th- in the first few minutes of this film. And, like, you know. this is a relatively early film in, in Brian De Palma's mm-hmm. career. You know, he, he had made a couple really small films before this, but I would definitely say this is the biggest film he's made. And I still watch this clip and think it's a masterpiece in timing and filmmaking. The split-screen car. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. I watch this scene and just my brain explodes because <laughs> to, these are shot at the same time. And the fact that they can hide the camera both times, you never see it, it's just a masterpiece.
4: I was not myself last night, lost a fight, my woody barely Bunny. Come on, let's get it going over here. Come on, oh, that's that it. Get the be. car and over there. Street, Hi, like girls. Uh, just a second, Linda. You got a very nice body and everything, uh, and you wanted to be cute. You want to see oh, some oh, skin, Linda? Oh. Look, you're not getting paid to be cold, Linda.
3: Look, you want to get paid? I want to get paid. Get
4: back on the
3: car. All
4: right, come on, let's move it out of here. That's it. Come
1: on, let's get going. Like, that's just masterful. You're filmmaking. Totally and then, like, just how he uses the audio, the left and right channels on the audio, and it's like, oh. and I've watched that sequence so many times that I know, like I said, I, I know that it's the same shot both times, because like, you can just yeah. match up the motions, and it's like... There's so much time and input. That was probably a whole day worth of filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... it's With a movie like this, you know, with, with the music being the star and, you know, the crazy costumes and everything, he didn't have to come in as swinging as hard as he did for the movie like Phantom of the Paradise. But that's just what Brian De Palma does. And I think that's why I'm so endlessly fascinated by him.
2: Well, let's not also forget the fact that uh, that is the Beach era. He literally goes through decades of types of music mm-hmm. during yep. this movie. I mean, we start off with the Juicy Fruits... Yeah, the, Grease. The, the Grease. Little, yep. The 50s doo-wop in a, in a
1: little bit... Which, that song gets stuck in my head all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and then the lyrics are like the embodiment of those, like, 60s, uh, 50s and 60s doo-wop groups where they had the, the songs about their girlfriend dying and that, you know. But it's yeah. upbeat, but we're talking about, you know, and then and you then move Like on. the
0: Ventures-esque
2: surfer rock, <laughs> you know, the yeah, Carburetors, boys. man. That's what life's all about. <laughs> That's what life's all about is Carburetors. And then you move on, you know, to where it's the final production to where suddenly they moved into the kind of like rock. Punk yeah. mm-hmm. type of you know movement that was just started you know that's where we end up with Beef uh, who yeah I agree I love Beef um, <laughs> but yeah it's interesting how he takes it through the different genres of music as well in the yeah. film you know and, uh, and I I liked that little little subtlety as well to where if you because it's just a background thing the music itself. Yeah, it's a musical but and you're focused on leech but then you have the juicy fruits who go transform they transform over the course of the film into like three different types of genres yeah. and uh that last one I loved. I love it it's bad when the backup band actually sings better than your main <laughs> guy because that that song they were singing where they were decapitating shitty dummies. It's was... so
1: good. You just it's They're like And Aah. I also love too that like it's the same band every time. Yeah. And they just keep repackaging them.
2: Looking at the beef character, you you can't help but see Rocky, you, right? You right. look at the beef mm-hmm. character in that performance, and the, when I when I saw this because this was my first time viewing, I'm like, "Holy shit, that's pre-Rocky, Rocky right there." That's Rocky from the picture show. <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: you know? and and I I was doing some quick whittling while that was playing, so. Phantom of the Paradise did come out before Rocky Horror, but Rocky Horror was based on a stage play right. that came out the year before Phantom of the Paradise. So like I I I think it's just, and I could be totally wrong here, but if you feels guys aren't to alone. Me,
1: Beef is Beef is a is a fan favorite.
0: Uh both both films reference Transylvania. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um and and I think it's just kind of like two great ideas happened at the same time separately because all of the inspiration pop culture inspiration of that moment kind of like inspired two different people in the same way Mm -hmm. Um, because it does it seems to me from a very initial Mm -hmm. stand that neither influenced the either the other Mm -hmm. and they both came out too close to really have
1: I wish stolen by the other. I wish that uh, "Fan of the Paradise" had the cult following that Rocky Horror did.
0: Right, right.
1: It it is equally as worthy
0: mm -hmm. Uh of of a cult following.
2: I I think the reason, part of the reason why Rocky is, you know, this kind of gets overshadowed by Rocky, is because of the the names that are in Rocky Horror Picture Show versus, uh, you know, Fan of Parad- sure. For mainstream audiences, you know, That's I mean, fair. if you are not, like, you're I love not a-
1: Garrett. I love Garrett Graham who plays Beef, but most people don't know who he is. Yeah. Right, it, you know- it,
0: I until this year when Raina, my my wife, showed me the Muppet episode because she loves uh, the Paul Williams. The, thank you, uh, Paul Williams, so much. I had not heard of Paul Williams, though. Obviously, I, I knew a lot of his music. Mm-hmm. Um, I only recognized. Uh, the actress that played Phoenix because you had showed me Suspiria, Suspiria. on yeah, this yeah. show a couple And of years she's back. got some pipes on her. Yes, she does. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, with those two exceptions, I had not heard of any of these people. Oh, except for both Michael and I discovered this on this watching. Sissy Spacek yep. was the
2: set decorator on this yep. film. <laughs> I thought I saw that name in the, I thought I saw it in the, in the credits and I'm like, yep.
0: Really? Right and and I'm like yep. it's got to be another says nope it nope, is it the is the only Spacek. Sissy SpaceX. so like <laughs> other than that like you don't where most people know Tim Curry most people know you know they're um um
2: Susan Sarandon and,
0: Susan Sarandon and the uh, the her counterpart Brian to last week like, thank yeah. you like which I. I've seen him and things so they're all recognizable faces. Speaking
1: of Susan Sarandon if Wikipedia is to be believed apparently Jessica Harper who played Phoenix was originally cast as Janet but she was replaced by Susan Sarandon. Oh my oh, god. Wow. She's
0: like uh well and that would have been after too so yeah, she's like yeah. I just played this role.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> would like- have been it would have been fitting though, because with the Rocky Horror Picture Show and and its theme of horror and everything, it would have been perfect casting for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah and absolutely. then like and she
1: proved she can sing. Like I re-listened to her song, mm-hmm. like uh, her her like upbeat. Uh, I can't remember what the title of the song is at the moment. Um, you know when she's auditioning for Swan, I listen to that song so often. It's like, and she's just has this amazingly gravelly voice. It's like you could have been a professional singer because mm-hmm. you yeah. you kill it. And then. Yeah, like uh, you know, and she also I, she did some roles. She was she was in Stardust Memories with Woody Allen, and you know she's done some stuff. I
0: will say that for my money, and and I suspect the reason why Rocky Horror, I though I think that the recognizable actors it is also a valid point. There is something really hooky about the camp of Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that while phantom of the paradise is still campy it's still that like a campy rock opera it leans more horror where i think the campiness the extra layer of campiness of rocky horror found the right audience which propelled it further yeah is my is my suspicion well, you know that the interactive theater experience that um is was inspired by the fact that it was a a theater piece first um, really helped propel it up.
2: Yeah. Well, if you you look at Rocky Horror 2, it's influenced, but it's pretty much its own entity. Whereas you have Phantom of the Paradise, which is immediately identifiable with Phantom of the Opera. So Mm -hmm. you're going to get that association just even subconsciously. Whereas Rocky Horror Picture Show, Find another yes. film before it that is like, <laughs> it, like it, it draws a lot on
0: 50s sci-fi, right. but, but not in the not same yeah, way yeah. that Phantom of the Paradise draws on its inspiration yeah. sources.
3: Right. Yeah, that's one- more
0: of just uh, theme and set dressing versus like actual retelling of these stories. And it's it's kind
1: know. of interesting too because like you know like. Fan of the Paradise came first, mm-hmm. and it had you know it has these the films. So- yeah, it has these phenomenal songs. It has you know Paul Williams attached to it, which Paul Williams in the seventies was like printing yeah. money, <laughs> um, and it just it came and it went. You know, some people liked it, some people didn't, and it's it's, it's interesting to, to like how some films can just catch and yeah. do big well, things. And-
0: and Rocky Horror did not catch oh, I at thought it first. Did. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was panned pretty heavily when it first came out. It was the the midnight showings of the people the the small cult followings that brought it up to the level that it is.
1: But you know what, Rocky Horror Picture Show does not have. It does not Other have an introduction Palmer's. by Rod Serling. That's true. Phantom of the Paradise does. I, the whole time I'm like. Is it? Did they get a voice
0: actor to sound like him, or nope, is it? They got. They got Rod. Himself. It is so good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the, the minute that the minute I heard him, I'm like, okay, am I? I'm in. I, yeah. I mean, I already figured I'd like this film, and now you got Rod Serling doing the voiceover <laughs> I, opening. I'm like,
1: holy! I feel like I read somewhere that they originally wanted Orson Welles, and they couldn't get him, oh. or his his recording didn't come out good. So then That's... they when your backup prize is Rod Serling, you're still pretty doing pretty well. <laughs> well
0: this this will tell you how engrossed I was with the film. I am a huge Twilight Zone. So, you know, a, a lot of us types are. But, um, you know, I grew up on Twilight Zone. I still, it's one of my go-to. Like, put it on to fall asleep, too. So it just infects my subconscious. You must have by, fucked up dreams. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> um, why, why do you think I have tremors? <laughs> but...
1: Because he watched Tem- tremors all the time. <laughs> oh, all six Another of great them.
0: Film. Uh ten to fifteen minutes into watching the film, I had completely forgotten about the oh, yes. Rod Serling intro. So that goes to show yeah. you how like engrossing the film was.
1: I feel like Brian I'm, De Palma owes me money because I've been trying so hard to get everyone to watch this film that I'm hope <laughs> I'm hope, trying to build its audience.
0: So I will I will say that this is the moment that I was Wayne, and it's not going to get as good of a score from me as it did from you, Michael. I'm sorry. I I was debating between a three and a half and a four star review. So I letterboxed it in three and a half. But this is the moment that I realized,
1: nope, it's a four star. Funny, I went back and looked at my review. I was like, I give it four and a half. Why the fuck isn't it five? (laughs) So, uh, on this show, we like to do a thing called, we, it's very inconsistent, but we have a thing called our Thrill House moment. As
0: is everything
1: that we yeah. do. And that that comes from the episode of The Simpsons where Millhouse is like, hair's blown back watching the TV. And he's like, I've only put in my name. And it just says <laughs> Thrill House. Uh, which is where we pick our moment that blew our hair back. And that, it's our Thrill our, House moment. The, the moment where we were like, okay, no, now I'm in.
0: Yep. Nick, you, you've, you've hooked me, I'm in. What was your Thrill House moment? Mm. If you had one, I—I'm sure I have one. I was not looking for one, and I should have been. So I—if uh, we can throw this to Mark, I'll oh. like. But the rest of the table can order while I think about what I want <laughs> off the menu. You well,
2: know,
1: you're just gonna get the chicken fingers. Don't lie.
2: <laughs> yeah, you always get the chicken fingers. Um, no, uh, for me. I mean I was invested from the start, but I think what really caught me and where they took it to where it, it, it surprised me was uh actually the scene where uh Paul Williams and uh, I'll call him just the Phantom, uh where he was helping the Phantom uh do the voice, you know, change his voice. He gave him a voice box because he couldn't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he did the, the voice thing and then he, you know, he whips out that contract.
1: Yep. And, you oh, know. One of my all-time favorite lines in, in, in this movie is when he, he reads some, like, crazy, like, your soul belongs to me clause. He's like, oh, that's a yeah. transportation clause. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Your body, okay. your skin, your <laughs> guts.
2: Your... But, you know, I mean, it, it – it already had me, and I always, you know, it's a musical. It's a typical musical, so you have the musical story within the story, the meta, the, you know, here you are, you know, he's a singer, he's putting on a musical in a musical. But when he put the, the, the contract down, I'm like, okay, Swan's that. And and tied with that, the the, the thrill-joy moment was when the Phantom finds the tape of how, because... It's when, because it, it, it wasn't, I'm horrible at these. I apologize. I'm sitting here stuttering all no, over the time.
1: No, I stammer um, all the time. It's part of my no, charm. It,
2: it, it sparks there. It's actually kind of a three-part thing because we, we get that wonderful scene with the, the contract, and I'm like, okay, so now we have the Faust parallelism going on here, typical musical. Loved that angle. Then there's the scene where Phantom's on the roof, and he tries to kill himself, <laughs> Right? And it doesn't work. And he's just so dismissive. He's like, oh, I'm suicide. under contract you know, as well. Be, because because Phoenix, exactly. Because Phoenix immediately got corrupted like that. I mean, once she realized, oh, I'm going to have to do this to actually get ahead, okay. Um, but yeah, when he said, I'm under contract myself, that moment right there, I was like, oh, that's good. Because I thought maybe at first he was the actual, you know, the devil or whatever, you know, doing the contract. But. He's under contract himself. And then you get that third part where the, the Phantom finds the tape. So it's just that storyline that they do with Swan was unexpected.
1: And surprisingly he, good acting from Paul Williams in the and the, the bathtub sequence where he's talking to himself I was like, Hey, you're not bad, Paul Williams. <laughs> I I'm now I'm gonna
0: sound like I'm just ripping off your ideas, but I, I the the two that I was debating um, you started talking one. I'm like, okay, I won't do that one. And then you said oh, the sorry. second one that was, <laughs> in, ah, shit. But, um, but, but I think that speaks to uh, the the importance of the Swan's backstory uh, mm-hmm. revelation. Um, the because one of my Thrill House moments was not necessarily the contract. The contract was good for all the reasons why you mentioned, but actually when uh, the predecessor predecessor to that which you talked about was he first off that voice that he had after he became the phantom was awesome um and then when he was like and then we'll add filters and a high pass and compressor and and eq and and then you could hear his voice like come through it it was like I, I think and he gave him Paul same... Williams'
1: voice. He gave him Swan's voice, which I love. And he's like, how do I make him sound like me? <laughs> in the same way that that um,
0: uh, his version of Faust mm-hmm. was like delicately shot, I thought that him getting his voice back was really beautifully shot and very beautifully presented in a way that um, was a Thrill House moment for me. And the other one was
1: um swan talking to himself in the mirror that was that
0: so was,
1: <laughs> for me there's two of them one of them and i i, I mean this honestly so my first time watching this movie was like about maybe five six years ago and um I was actually hooked really early on, like, when that when the Juicy fruit started singing. And I was like, oh, man, this song kind of rocks. And then, like, and I was like, okay, I'm into this, I'm into this. And then Winslow started singing. I'm like, oh, this song is beautiful. And I was like, oh, I think I like this movie. But then, really, my true Thrill House moment is when Winslow was escaping from jail. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's running through the record-pressing plant, and his face gets crushed on a record press. I'm like... They killed him with a record press. Did that did I write this fucking movie? Because I'm I'm real big on like trying to like t- work the things I love into movie. it's the reason why in From the Darkness Theater, a guy gets gets killed to death with a he gets bludgeoned to death with a um, a film reel yeah like a film case and it's like I just love like bringing this stuff and it's like they literally had a guy's face get crushed with a record press that's I, metal. I,
0: I wanted so bad at some point in the movie for them to like run a phonograph needle on it and like play back. It's <laughs> a wasted the, opportunity. The off of his face. So uh, before we wrap, there's one more thing that I really wanted to talk about, and it. I I wonder if either of you, either having seen the movie more or understanding the sources more, have any thoughts on it. I want to know the significance of the birds. Right, because you have Swan, you have Phoenix, what? and then you have the the Death Record logo is the dead bird. Like, there's something going on with birds that, and obviously, you could say, you know, Phoenix, she's the one that you know. Is well, and really then the plus his the his, his mask his kind of looks. Oh yeah, and his helmet looks, looks like was, a bird, and... like is also.
1: I don't know. Like, I'm actually kind of interested. There, there's a on on the the Blu-ray. There's a commentary with one of the guys who the um. Uh, I can't think of his name at the moment. I think it's, uh, it's Sissy Spacex Husband. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he he did the, the production design of the film, and I'm sure he'd have something to say about it. Uh, so I don't know much about that. I do know why the dead bird and death records was their logo okay. originally it was supposed to be swan song records but then the the the, the producer of the rolling stone uh, not rolling Stone, i'm sorry producer of led zeppelin sued them because that's the name of their production company <laughs> so instead of they just killed, had a dead bird and you know jack fisk uh the production designer oh. so okay uh, so i i don't know I, I i actually i thought about that like a little bit this time i was like huh i guess there are a lot of birds but i hadn't I don't know, like, what the significance behind. It right. Is.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, I I'm not sure either. I mean, I just I thought it was really cool. Um, maybe it was just you know an artistic choice. They decided to do a theme, not necessarily a meaning, but just kind of give it that rounded, you know, its own world and and kind of a a streamlined. Uh, you know, these are all just interconnected in the story, and they like the birds. Th- themes. You know, I like yeah, um, I caught that quick, you know, as well, but uh I don't know if it had any real meaning outside of just an artistic choice of hey, we're going to connect beef. this. Just uh, like a he, bunch didn't of birds ma- he didn't match
1: that theme, beef.
2: <laughs> and oh then there's beef, yeah. You've never
1: heard of
0: the 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 majestic beef uh swan? No not swan the beef, we
2: can't do that. The, the, beef, the, the beef duck the, beef finch. the beef, yeah. beef finch. Beef bird. There we go. So the beef. Am, and beef speaking bird. of
1: Speaking of beef, actually, I want to talk like, my about fa- my, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is actually the introduction of beef, when yes. they're like, hmm, what's, how How do we want this song the sound? And they just kept moving from band to band and yes, group to group. that was a great and scene. And then they, they showed beef, and he just sang the one line, and just was flexing, it was like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he's like, that's it. That's who's going to sing this song.
0: (laughs) And again, based on that introduction of him, I did not expect the character that we ended up getting. So every Mm -hmm. time they showed him, I'm like, oh, that's who that guy? Okay. Oh, that's it. Like every time he brought something that re-engaged me, which is
1: impressive. Yeah, Beef's
3: the
2: standout. Beef is the standout. He was the surprise character. If there's any you know, mention of a surprise character on a first-time watch, it's that one. I did not yep. expect me to be cheering for Beef, and I actually felt bad when he gets the electric bolt. Right, I'm, yeah. And then I'm sitting there going, doesn't anyone have a fire extinguisher? Because they're all oh, sitting there like almost oh, almost. nobody, rose nobody rose. gave a shit. One of my rose one cared that he died.
1: I I've seen this movie a couple times now, obviously, but there's a moment that I never caught all the other times I've watched this movie. Maybe it's because now I, this is the biggest screen I've watched it on. But when Winslow, when the Phantom is at the top of the Paradise and he's talking to to, to Swan, no, he's talking to um, Phoenix mm-hmm. and trying to convince her that Swan's evil. It's um you know she's pretty much saying like well this is, I'm now this is my moment and they cut to the crowd and beefs being wheeled out and they're still chanting beef. Beef beef beef, 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 beef. And they're wheeling him. He's dead. They're wheeling him to the ambulance. His face is covered. And they're still chanting beef. <laughs> I've never caught that before. And I was, but I, I spit up, I almost spit up my drink.
0: <laughs> I, I think there was like, there's some interesting commentary there because mm-hmm. the stage performance involved like people ripping things off. And I think everyone in the audience thought that it was just part of the performance. Mm-hmm. I think none of them realized that he actually died. Um, is how I interpreted it and there it seems like there's a lot of commentary in that um that was yep. interesting, especially from such a highly stylized mm-hmm. film about theater and music presentation
4: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: yeah the the theatric uh commentary it... Or commentary about theatrics, especially in like rock and roll music, is prevalent throughout this. I mean, from when yeah. we see the juicy fruits just going <laughs> over the top. At one point, what? one of them jumps on a female patron and they start dry humping. Yeah, I mean,
3: I'm just sitting here. Going, and he
2: comes
1: back with a bra in his hand.
2: <laughs> and he comes back the broadest head. and you know i mean and then when you get the the final opening it's like at one point everybody just goes nuts and they all just rush on stage and everybody's dan and it's just this wild debauchery type of thing and it's just you know the crowd's going nuts for the the simplest things too though they go crazy for like the tons of, like the simplest things. They they cut the head off a mannequin. And everyone's like, yeah. yeah!
3: And
1: well, like- and Alice Cooper's still cutting heads off of mannequins, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, maybe they shouldn't be, but it is
0: a reflection of real life. Yeah,
1: well, it's, well, it's funny, too, because like, uh, Brian De Palma talked about that on a, on an interview, and he was like, you know, I was trying to comment on how, like, you know, he's like back at the, uh, when this was going on, and, you know, and it's it's a trend that's still progressing that, you know, the stage show has become more important than the music, and, mm-hmm. you know, and I wanted to comment on that, and I was like, well you succeeded in making some really cool stage shows (laughs) for a person who doesn't like, who's like, this is, this is what's wrong with music. And be like, well, fuck. Yeah. It's awesome.
2: (laughs) I would have been cheering too in that crowd to see a shitty dummies getting decapitated and then pulling arms. Yeah.
1: It's like, like I said, Alice Cooper's still doing that. I saw Alice Cooper a couple of years ago. He opened, opened for iron maiden. So he had 30 minutes in 30 (laughs) minutes. He sang a full set, had three costume changes, resurrected Frankenstein's monster, and decapitated himself <laughs> in 30 minutes. It's De, De Palma's
0: looking at the, the people that are like, yeah, that was an awesome stage show in the same way that like Chuck Palahniuk is like, no, if you want to start a fight club after you watch
1: this, then you miss the point. <laughs> <laughs> Brian De Palma is Grandpa Simpson at Woodstock going, play Sean on a!" <laughs> Which, fun fact originally since uh, uh uh paul williams is good friends with the band sha na they were supposed to be the juicy fruits they were supposed to be the band in the movie but contractually it didn't work out
2: oh that would That's have amazing. made that totally different yeah.
1: <laughs> Play Shana,na. <laughs> <laughs> I had
3: an those three in guys belt, in the Juicy Fruit. I don't. I don't
1: know if they're actually musicians or not, but they. They, they killed.
3: Were, yeah.
0: For a second, I thought one of them was Mojo Nixon, but I, I think I'm wrong.
1: I think you're just trying to add Mojo Nixon in everything.
0: <laughs> I, I do have a tendency to do that. <laughs> Do you remember his performance in Arrival?
1: Oh, that was beautiful. No, but I remember his performance in Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Ooh. Which
1: I unapologetically gave five stars, because I love that movie.
2: More power to you, sir. More power to you. I
1: imported a Blu-ray from another country so I could have it on Blu-ray. I saw... I
0: I thought of you. I saw a a meme online the other day of, like, uh, kids nowadays getting movie interpretations of their video games and it's the sonic the hedgehog yeah. movie and then back in my day the and it was like the the goomba uh, <laughs> thing it's like yeah maybe don't complain
2: about sonic the hedgehog
3: <laughs> yeah
2: good old dennis hopper taking any any gig for a buck
1: <laughs> <laughs> to this day my uh oh, oh. I just my my buddy Greg, who's my producer on front, uh, front of the Darker Data, he'll just occasionally just send me a voice message of Dennis Hopper going monkey, because <laughs> he knows at any point in the day it'll make me laugh. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: I'm so glad that you guys loved this film. <laughs> not maybe not loved as much as I do, but I'm glad I you would guys say are I really this. liked it. It it it, it's a film that
2: I would easily watch again. Yeah, preferably with people who hadn't seen it. This is definitely one of those films that's that is you know going to be have you seen this? No, well we should do a group watch or something sometime because especially for those who like odd musicals, I mean that's part of the appeal. That's that why I like the Apple is, Mm -hmm. and I like Rocky Horror, and I like. You know, surprisingly, I don't care for Repo the Genetic Opera.
1: Uh, I thought it was fine.
2: I've got to revisit that because I have a friend uh, who is just, she really loves that film. And, you know, I don't fault anyone for liking whatever film they want uh, (laughs) at all. Um, But for me, it's like that one I couldn't get. But usually I like quirky musicals. So this one was just right up my alley, especially in that mid-weird Surrealism 70s style that you get with some of these films in this, you know, the middle of the 70s that just the filmmakers just doing some out there narrative visually. I mean, like in this, you get the phantom against a black backdrop where he's composing, and then you get Phoenix and she's in black feathers, and it's like this weird montage thing that really has no place narratively or even story wise, but it's very cool.
1: Yeah, and it's it's, yeah. it's 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 definitely a movie that I cause I've been a big proponent of and trying to get more people to see because mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's an undiscovered gem. It's also a rare occasion where like you're watching the movie and be like, I feel like everyone, even Brian De Palma, was having fun making this movie. I oh, bet yeah. he smiled once, just <laughs> one, at least once.
2: They do the freaking chicken dance on stage. They're having fun. <laughs>
1: they do the chicken dance with no sense of irony or sarcasm no, whatsoever. Right, right. Like, like um, uh, Jessica Harper does that dance, and like, and she makes it look good. I'm like, yeah, yeah just keep doing the chicken dance.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but anything this stylized, it mm-hmm. makes it easier for me to really enjoy the... The experience of watching. So, the, this one was a, you know, a leg up from the get go. I, I really
1: enjoyed it. Yeah. I definitely think this is, um, so we're, what, five episodes into this season, Nick? I think this has been. I think
0: it might be six.
1: Six? Okay. Well, this is definitely <laughs> one of my favorite episodes we've done thus far. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And this is six. Yeah. Uh, it was Coal Miner's Daughter because that was just a great rewatch. But, um, yeah, we, we've we've been having a goofy trend of, of doing a lot of musical movies that seem to be all interconnected. Like, you know, we have a Sissy Spacek connection, and yeah. I'm sure there's another one that I just can't think
2: of. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you end up getting that. Uh, after last year, I find a lot more connections between a lot more films that I just randomly pick. So um, because last year, yeah, on my show, well, uh, we did a thing. Uh, if you don't mind me mentioning it no i was actually gonna say before we wrap up i
1: want you to talk about Um, your show
2: what you do and on the spoiler room uh well it didn't i didn't plan it this way because i don't plan anything so i never play the game properly (laughs) i always say that the podcast game the youtube game i don't play it properly i don't do the trends or whatever but um it ended up that every year we end up doing a theme we first started off with 25th anniversary at the time so we looked at films from 1990. And then I did 40 years back. So we did movies from 1976, which there were a lot of great movies from 1976. But, you know, we did like a series of looking at a franchise, the third film in a franchise. We did those, you know, third time's a charm, I called it. Well, last year I got ambitious and I decided to do 52 degrees KB, which was basically a playoff of six degrees to Kevin Bacon. And what I did was I took 12 Kevin Bacon films and we went in chronological order. So we started with this time Footloose. And I picked 12 Kevin Bacon films. And then for the weeks in between the Kevin Bacon film episodes, I found films and basically played Six Degrees to Kevin Bacon. Oh, awesome. (laughs) But I challenged myself further by staying within the years between releases. So you had a film between 1982 and 84, you know, or 84 and 86. I could only pick films to connect within that time frame.
1: <laughs> nice. I love so, rules. I love rules. So,
2: like three nights, there were three nights where I had multiple IMDb tabs open. And <laughs> because it was also the challenge of trying to find films that I might thought would be interesting to watch. And I managed to plan out the entire year playing 52 degrees where every three wow. or four, four weeks we'd come back to a Kevin Bacon film, then get out of that Kevin Bacon film and, and come back to it to the point where I even did, I managed to work in voice acting because in December I hit my 12th Kevin Bacon film and I'm like, well crap, I still got like four weeks yet to plan. Out. <laughs> so Kira Sedgwick did a voice in his film cop car. She was the uh, dispatcher on the radio. So I'm like, Hey, so I turned December into an animation month and did voice acting. So I connected Kira Sedgwick to Bruce <laughs> Tim, you know, to to uh, Kevin Conroy, you know, and, and did it that way and made an animated wow. film to bring it back at the end of the year to Friday the Thirteenth because the truck driver in Friday the Thirteenth did the voice for the horse in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I shit <should> you not.
1: <laughs> Bless you, sir. <laughs> that is the greatest piece of filmmaking trivia I've ever found, I've ever heard.
2: I, I'm clicking through trying to find matches because I wanted to do a Friday the 13th episode because uh, Derek Carey is just a huge fan. I wanted him on the show, and, and he loves it, so I'd love talking I to I people about films who, you know, people who love certain films. And so I'm like, how am I going to get it back to Friday the 13th? And then suddenly I found this little nugget to where, he did the Continue. the voice sounds. He's credited in IMDb as the voice for the horse <laughs> in Beauty and the Beast, and he was the truck driver in
1: Friday the Thirteenth. Well, you know when like, the. Pay- Sometimes you just got to take the paycheck, man.
2: <laughs> but when that last puzzle piece drops in and and brings it
1: back it around, it's
2: so it delicious. It, it, it all worked. Yeah, December I gave myself a little leeway because I was going backwards through decades, so I didn't keep stay in time frames necessarily, but it gave me a chance to talk about uh, uh, Mask of the Phantasm and you know we talked about american tale and beauty and the beast and then friday the 13th so but yeah it's the only time and i loved it i loved doing it i got to see films that i wouldn't have normally saw in my
1: wheelhouse i don't think i'd ever do it again. sounds complicated <laughs> because... <laughs> i got lost in the rules as you explaining it to me <laughs> yeah it was it was it was
2: wild but it, i also learned though like in the 90s how much because I could have actually done some films between two Kevin Bacon films a lot sooner too than three films but I had to fill out the month sure. because there were some there was like groups of actors who just were in everything together either as a sub, you know a supporting role or a, a, a main character and so I'm finding this going nope that's too soon that's too soon. <laughs> so I mean there's validity people make it a joke in that but there's validity behind the 6 degrees to Kevin oh. Bacon theory uh, I'm, I'm four
0: degrees from Kevin Bacon. And I am like, three. I'm three. there you go. Like, like <laughs> it, it's crazy how, how true it is
2: it don't give you I, and we did it out of love we we love yeah, i yeah. love his performances i think he's a great actor he takes his yeah. roles
3: that he, you don't expect he has
0: yeah. aged better uh, his performances have aged mm-hmm. better than i expected them to like i it always felt like more of just uh an, an actor of that genre but as i go back and revisit his films they are actually surprisingly timeless
2: Yeah, Yeah. you know, and and he's taken he has not taken safe roles. I mean, we part of the one of the movies we watched was The Woodsman, where he literally plays a pedophile, a convicted pedophile trying to find a job and just live. And you're just like, oh, man, this film is dark. And, you know, (laughs) he, he plays it fantastically creepy like you need that role to be you know and he's all in on it and it's just like you see that and then you see him in like the big picture where he's just this kind of you know
1: he kind of reminds me like a lot of in a lot of ways of a patrick swayze because patrick swayze was never afraid to take you know like look at this role in donnie darko right you know And, Uh, and he's also one of those actors too that you know he did a lot of he did a lot of fluff but he was always really good in that fluff like yeah you know, it wasn't until I actually sat down and watched um Dirty Dancing that I was like, Man, he's actually really good in this movie. <laughs> this movie is not as dumb as I was anticipating it to be.
2: So I learned a lot about connections and we still run into it now with doing my shows that have nothing to do with Kevin Bacon, but we're finding connections between people and actors. And I think yep. why you get it for eras like the Phantom of the you know, Phantom of Paradise and and all of this where these actors keep showing up is because in all honesty, there were a lot less back then even in the 80s that, you know, that were making it. I mean, now with so many streaming platforms and, and ways you can consume media, you have far more names out there now, I think, than you did back then because you had also less ways to look these names up. You only saw what the PR people gave you or what the agents gave mm-hmm. you or whatever so yes yeah, Sissy so see Space ends up showing up in a number of spots you know <laughs> you know uh, paul williams actually you know it, you get these actors that end up showing up quite a, frequently in connected in this movie yeah. and this movie because Well of that. and
0: and it also plays on um uh exponential growth in mm-hmm. a way that like we as human beings have a really hard time thinking exponentially. So like you have a film with a cast and then every single one of those cast members, whether super popular or not has a film career, which connects them to, you know, and then they tell 40 friends and then they, you know, they, they work with 40 (laughs) other people on a movie and, and those 40 work on 40 more so that, that exponential growth feels much more coincidental than it actually is.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, update my bacon number is actually two. Oh, you're, wow! Oh,
0: for some reason I heard banking number. i Am like, or oh, are we doing <laughs> <giving laughs> out our pins now? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: because my like, nice social security number. <laughs> I I worked with Sean Aston on the surface. Okay. The surface uh, Sean Aston was in Whitewater Summer with Summer Kevin Bacon. With Kevin
2: Bacon, yeah.
0: So then if I finally work with you, then I'll be kicked up, up to three.
1: Yeah.
2: There you go. So my which, bacon number's two. Which was <laughs> hilarious because uh, his scenes were, like, shot, like, completely different. It's like uh, I was looking it up, and they that film actually had, like, a two-year gap before they actually finished Whitewater's Summer. So it was, like... They filmed, I think it was the woods stuff at one point, and then they filmed the New York stuff. Like a year or two later, well, you know, Sean Ashton had grown. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he looks different in, in, in the seeds. But no, my, my... – oh, wow. go ahead. No, I was yeah, going to my... say, I just,
1: I just looked at Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin is, a, is two. He's two-way. <laughs> I am the same as Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> there you go.
2: Yeah, no I I am three thanks to uh, my late mom's uh, ex-husband, first husband. So um because he was um his name was Tony Frank and he played the dad of uh, uh Terry Gar's uh dad in uh, uh Weird Al Yankovic's UHF. So. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome.
3: Well.
0: I I have yet so I've I've seen UHF, mm-hmm. but now I uh I'm the station manager of a public access TV, like that's my day did, and I have yet I have yet to watch that movie since taking on that role, and I've been meaning to for now. I think like we found our next episode. Now. <laughs> I've been meaning to so bad. Well, that, I, I, uh, let's, let's do it on Patreon, because then, it, you know. That would make sense as a Patreon episode, yeah. Now,
2: now you can plan out your programming, you know. There we go. <laughs> druids, <laughs> druids on Parade. You
0: gotta do Druids on Parade. It's, it's also our second Weird Al reference on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that been brings good it all back around.
1: So before we right. wrap up, Mark, tell me tell tell everyone out there about your shows. I know wow. I know of three that you do, and, and where we can find you. Yeah, on I, I know of, and... I know of the Final Cut and Spoiler Room, which I have no idea what the difference between those two <laughs> is. To be honest with you, because they seem very similar. And then you do vi- it's finally Mine. What else am I missing? Tell us about your YouTube channel. Tell us oh, about I, your life. Oh. <laughs> tell I'm us so about th- seeing movies with your kids. Whatever you want to do.
3: <laughs> I'm
2: so horrible with this, but. Um, That's why we make you do it. I always point to specialmarkproductions.com for all your movie man needs. There's links there to... Uh, my YouTube channel, which we're celebrating our 15th anniversary this year of being on Happy YouTube. Happy anniversary! 15 Thank years you. on YouTube. You were Just, like, it was you in the
1: first porno video that went it, up. It was
2: me. It was me. Kids laughing in a mall and Perez Hilton. That's that's <laughs> that's all. It, you
1: know, and you were the best thing on that shit <laughs> on YouTube.
2: So. Yeah, so that's where I do uh, The Final Cut, which is a movie review show. I do video reviews. Mostly I've focused over the last, well, pretty much since uh, I, when we met, uh, Mike, uh, ever since I was introduced to independent films, I focused a lot more on indie films more than wide-release films because everybody does wide-release movies. And I have nothing against them, and I still did them for a while when I was trying to keep up with the schmoes and the Jeremy Jans and all these big names. And then I finally said, I'm going to quit trying to keep up with them because I will never get to a press release screening of a big film because I live in the middle of Wisconsin. Okay, I got to drive like three hours to it. There's no way I'm going to be able to drive. (laughs) You know, so I focused on indie films because I fell in love with the community and the people. Some of them became my best friends. And so that's what I focused on mostly with The Final Cut. That's a video show that I carried over from my college years in UWSP when we had student television. I picked up the movie review show there called The Final Cut. And then when YouTube came around, I I picked it back up. So that's that's kind of how that came about. But so and then you have the spoiler room, which is the podcast version of uh, gotcha. uh, the, of that's my podcast i also do post video recordings of it on youtube but that See, that's is... why i
1: got confused because they're are both right. videos and like what's the difference yeah it's i
2: i because i've watched post...
1: them both and i was like they seem kind of similar <laughs>
2: they, they they are similar in vain only uh, the spoiler room obviously we do spoilers we we date d- deep dive much like you guys here on the shameless picture show uh we we just do deep dives and and look at things in the films and talk all different aspects of it. a lot of them when we talk to the old, about the older films it 's like looking at them through a twenty twenty lens versus back then and, and mm-hmm. kind of doing that stuff but it, it's it 's kind of a round table stuff it 's evolved over the years It started as a fluke. And now I've got, like, 320 episodes, so...
1: (laughs) We're on our way. We're, like, 101, I think? And that's including bonus episodes. That's right. That's That's
0: awesome. Our our 100th episode is coming up sometime this season. Our official 100th episode. And that's
2: mad (laughs) mad respect and impressive, because a lot of shows tend to die off, because it, it is hard at times to... Keep that motivation of going because right. you do the the daytime job and then you come home yeah. and it's your hobby. <laughs> and heck, and, you
1: you your your output is way higher than ours. We <laughs> we, we started off as doing every other week just because mm-hmm. we give ourselves a break, and then it kind of became like oh, let's try to do two a month, and then it's just like
3: <laughs> one uh, and we'll, a half a month. Yeah,
0: and then like oh, we'll throw some been, bonus shit. We've been doing every other yeah. week so far mm-hmm. though this this season, so yeah. we'll, we'll so. see if we can keep it up.
2: Yeah, I mean, so, but bad props that you do keep it up. It, it's awesome. I still don't know what I'm doing, but we're, we, we have fun and we've, we've, you know, slowly grown. I always say small but mighty. I don't have a huge amount of subs on my YouTube. I don't have a huge amount of subs on my podcast, but we do have an audience and it's great to, that I even got one person to watch my stuff. That, that's right. means the most to me is if one person watches it, great. That's all. Yeah, you know, yeah. and then, it's Vinally Mine came about a couple of years ago because I started buying a lot of vinyl. I got into vinyl collecting and I'm like maybe someone might find interest. This is just stuff that I find interesting. You I know? find it interesting. And, you know, I, and I feature stuff like this, you know, Bakshi's Lord of the Rings soundtrack on vinyl uh, and and stuff like that. You know, it just weird stuff too that I find and Some people enjoy them and some people don't. So there's It's Vinally Mine. And then, yeah, I do, like, little short films occasionally. Uh, What I started off YouTube doing, actually, is posting a couple of uh, fan-made video edits I did for Star Wars, where I took Star Wars footage and a Queen song, Princes of the Universe, and I put it together, and my first yeah. version of that was shot on an AB deck with VHS tapes in yep. the yep. television. <laughs> I remember those days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, that's how I made that video, and I just transferred it up, and then you know, plus start... that's a great song. Oh, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful song, and Here then Star Wars, we are. <laughs> and it's 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 the one that's probably got the most hits outside of the teaser. My One of my biggest, biggest viewed videos, if you don't mind me just saying real quick. No, no, um, go for it. One of the biggest videos I have posted is a 15-second teaser trailer for Temple of Doom that was put on the front of the first release of the Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark VHS. Okay. All it is is a Mr. Voice going, you know, Prepare yourself for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, filming in exotic locations like Macau, Shanghai, you know, and it's got the Indiana Jones map, and then it just has one shot from Raiders where it's Indy going saying "Trust me," and then credits. The thing is like fifteen seconds long. I couldn't find it anywhere else, so I for shits and giggles I posted it. That's got the most views. Well, it worked
1: because I'm sitting here being like, I want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> you're just exp- you're just describing it to me. I'm like, I'm invested. Delicious. <laughs>
2: so yeah, I mean that's the way it became. But I started a series of web series, which I'm going to bring bring back this year for our anniversary because it's almost fitting. I created this character to where I shot on my Sony DV Handycam. Using a walkie-talkie and a piece of green paper, I made what's called the Lonely Trooper series. Now, if you're familiar with YouTube at all, there was a series when it was up and coming called the uh, Lonely Girl 15 series. Uh, And it turned out later it was scripted, but it was initially just a vlog of a young woman. And it was really well produced. And she had this whole thing where she's talking about her life. And it took off. So instead of Lonely Girl 15, I made Lonely Trooper episodes and it's basically my 1977 star wars stormtrooper in front of a green screen badly composited at first because i had really amateur software and it's his vlog and i take him through the original trilogy and his whole point is he's always trying to get promoted to the black suit and (laughs) i've over the course of the years i've created like 30 some episodes it tapered off after a while just because i didn't want to just make episodes to keep going you know i it, once the idea was kind of done, I'm like, "Okay, you know it's done." and then people kept asking me, "Are you gonna do more?" <laughs> and then I'm like, "Okay, and eventually I did and and I'm bringing them back now uh this year because uh again, for the anniversary, I'm gonna have like uh, six or twelve episodes, depending on how many I can shoot, but you know I mean, so stuff like that, so you can find all that. I got the Patreon, which is small but mighty where you get uh like pre episode discussions of that we're talking where we're just bullshitting for like a half an hour before the actual episode of the spoiler room man we
1: give that away for free (laughs) what the (laughs) fuck um
2: you know and then i do vip episode where uh uh, the the they vote for one movie for us to talk about or one thing to talk about on a month and only that is a patreon exclusive and then uh, there's uh, another tier where you can vote on what it's finally mine records I talk. So I got the Patreon. I dabble in Twitch as well. I I am like ADD with my projects. I dabble <laughs> in a lot of things. <laughs> instead of like just laser focused on one and
1: i'm the same way so. i'm the same way. Like I, like I said like i told both of you instead of preparing for the show i was right i was doing another draft of a screenplay I'm like oh shit i gotta record soon
2: yeah. <laughs> and, and also on special work productions i've got interviews uh, as you mentioned, I, I got a chance to interview you, Mike. Uh, that's I've got a film festival page where I've got all of the stuff that I covered each year for film festivals, and I've got interviews. I just did a couple this past week uh, with some indie filmmakers, uh, Lou Simon, and then these guy, uh, these two guys out of New York who did a film called Necropath. I got to interview them, and so there's other interviews on there as well. I got a chance to talk to Fred Olin Ray. And nice. uh, Patty Mullen from Frankenhooker, I got to. She was one of my first interviews. Well, have um, you ever interviewed Butch Patrick? No, I haven't.
0: Because he's he, he is
1: a he's a dream We're guest trying for to the get show.
0: Butch Patrick on the show.
2: <laughs> to be fair, we actually haven't
1: yet. done anything to reach out to him. No, 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 no. zero effort.
2: But. <laughs> Well, if I do run across them, I'll definitely point them. Send way, them our way. And, <laughs> your direction. for and, sure. I, and I will
1: say, since you know, since I'm all about trying to make dreams happen, Nick, if you're ever looking for content, you've got a content guy right there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for I, your for your for your TV hey, station. Yeah, uh,
0: if you're interested in being on a uh, Maryland Talbot County uh, public, <laughs> public
2: access, access station, we're. I, uh, I, I actually don't mind... Uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk for sure if you're looking for something. I mean, cool. I don't have enough projects. Uh, but <laughs> I got to... Well, 20... I can just post what you're already doing and oh, save the your or, effort.
1: You're welcome to do that too, <laughs> sure.
2: Um, I'll just make sure to watch my language. No, uh, <laughs> right. The Oh, no, the
1: best part about it is Nick has to hire someone then to go to through and bleep it? everything out. So back... <laughs> <It's> <laughs> actually... I
2: I have I I mentioned this I mentioned this humbly, uh, but I I do have uh, my reviews show on the Bordello of Horror, which is a horror host show done by uh, Freak Show Peterson out of uh, Madison. I know
1: Freak Show, you know Freak awesome. Show. Uh,
2: I we met over uh, viewing on the Bordello of Incest Death Squad from Corey Udler, and. As you do. I, as you do. Uh, and we hit it off, and he his show plays uh, on midnights on a cable channel down in Madison, and he shows my reviews there. So it's Oh, awesome. Which, yeah. Um, You're taking over the country. <laughs> I'm taking over something. And then occasionally I do write uh, reviews for We Live Entertainment. I used to do video content when they had the YouTube channel up more consistent, but they do more written stuff, so I do some written stuff there. And I also produce occasionally videos for uh monsters, magic and madness uh so uh yeah, I dash. Doubt... you are a busy fricking <laughs> yes my, well, Mark, my hobby, but
0: keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you thank so you. much for being on the show today, oh. and I guess the only other thing I have to say is if you don't like men getting smashed in the face with a record press, then I've got two <laughs> words for you watch, watch movies. movies
1: yeah he did it too
0: <laughs> you do watch uh, yes 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 <laughs>
3: yes play, All right. play shameless play picture show is
0: recorded in milwaukee wisconsin and eastern maryland and is hosted and produced by nick richards and michael byers today's episode was edited by nick richards our opening theme music was written especially for us by the directionals with narration by zach mcclain the end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band Ten Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people
3: in the description below.